What's up, Dolphins fans? This is Kyle Krabs of Locked On Dolphins. It is Thursday, and it means it's power to the pod. We are live on the YouTube channel, Locked On Dolphins, on Wednesday night, getting some live questions, but also getting a bunch of iTunes reviews, some social media questions, anything and everything pertaining to your Miami Dolphins that's on your mind. We're going to talk about it here today on the show. Buckle in. Let's get after it. Locked On Dolphins. You are Locked On Dolphins. Your daily Miami Dolphins podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What's going on, Dolphins fans? Welcome to another episode of Locked On Dolphins Powered of the Pod. It's my favorite show of the week because I don't got to do any prep work. I just show up and you guys do all the heavy lifting because it's whatever you want to talk about on the show. Your questions, your hot topics, your hot takes pertaining to your Miami Dolphins, you name it. Thank you guys for making Locked On Dolphins your first Miami Dolphins listen of the day. Today's episode is brought to you by OnlineGambling.com, the place for all the latest gambling news and tips throughout the NFL playoffs. Visit OnlineGambling.com slash NFL to get the edge over the competition throughout this year's playoffs. Fins up. Good to see some of you guys here in the live chat as well. Uh, Thomas and Glenn, and I'm assuming it's Ben and Barney and Paul and Indade. Let's um, let's knock some of these reviews out. Here's the way that Power of the Pod works. If you leave a five-star review on the show, I guarantee you I get to your question on a Power of the Pod episode. Uh, but for those of you in the live stream comments, make sure you're leaving your questions throughout the course and the duration of the show as well. These things usually end up running a little long uh, because you guys get me going a little bit. So that's the challenge to everybody who's here uh, now on Wednesday night on the YouTube channel, uh, get me going and see how long you can keep me going. Uh, we're going to start with an iTunes review uh, from FinFan927. Kyle, if the rumors are true that Flo took over the defensive uh, play calling in the second half of the year when the team started to click, does it make sense to retain Josh Boyer as the defensive coordinator just for the sake of continuity if it wasn't him calling a successful game? No, I don't think it does. Um, I think Miami needs to take into account what happened with the defense in 2021 in the first half of the season versus the second half of the season. And if indeed Brian Flores did get his hands more involved in that, I would be very skeptical about just running personnel back. And I know we've kind of alluded to the name Patrick Graham. I think there are some interesting cases. Brian Dable is somebody who spent several years coaching in New England and has relationships with assistant coaches on the defense side of the ball who could potentially run it more efficiently if they want to run the same style of defense. But there's a lot of dust that has to settle uh, for uh, the coach, the head coach decision before we get into coordinators and so on. But uh, I think that's part of the reason why we're all kind of waiting on bated breath here. Uh, looking ahead by Kurt Millions. I know it might be early and with a new head coach, we still have no idea which way this goes. But what do you think of this uh, mock draft? And N'Kobe Dean in the first round. I think if he's there at 22, it's an absolute steal. And John Mechie at 50. I think his injury could hurt him, but help us land him late. Um, so N'Kobe Dean at 22, uh, linebacker from University of Georgia. He's undersized. I think about the way the Dolphins have traditionally played defense. And N'Kobe Dean would make sense for me in the role that's filled 
currently by the likes of Duke Riley slash Sam McGlovin in their rush package. Uh, I think as an uh, off-ball linebacker, he's probably a will. He's somebody you don't want at the point of attack because he's not a bigger guy. He doesn't have a lot of length. But he is somebody who is an absolute terror in the passing downs with what he's able to do and pressure uh, and be a blitz player. And his pursuit, his range is sideline to sideline. He'd be a good pick. But if they're going to follow through on the reports that came out at the end of last week that we are committed to Tua Tagovailoa as the quarterback in 2022, and you could choose to believe that or you can choose to not believe that. But if they are indeed going to hold true to that, um, I'd have a hard time investing that first-round pick and not the offensive side of the ball because you need to have an honest assessment of what you have. Um, Pat. Here's one in the live comments. I am this one just happened to flash for me, so I'm going to pick it up. Uh, Kyle, after Jackson State landed Travis Hunter, are you guys at TDN expecting to have a ramp up in your HBCU scouting? Uh, yes, they're they're having an HBCU combine. Um, I think it's next week ahead of the Senior Bowl, and we're going to have some representation there, and there's some interesting prospects that are going to be there, so we're looking forward to it. Uh, Fabian, thank you. Nice to see you. Uh, on the YouTube stream with Doug today and made a stop over at Dougley's YouTube channel. If you guys are familiar and Dougley, congratulations on 30, su- 30,000 subs on your YouTube channel. Happy for you. Happy for your successes. And again, thank you for sharing your platform with me. Uh, next review comes from E-Rock. Let me open the tab here. He left us a long one. This is a long question. Okay. While I would have preferred to keep Greer and overhaul the offensive staff, I don't think that would have worked given Flo's style. The turnstile of offensive staff and subpar offensive linemen was going to continue. So I'm assuming he means keep Flo and overhaul the offensive staff. During the past year, Flores put in place a crazy co-OC system, a first-year yes-man offensive line coach, and cut from a terrible offensive line, Eric Flowers, Matt Skurr, Jermaine Illuminor did not re-sign Ted Karras, all of which were a minimum serviceable starters on other teams. We need a head coach that can hire the best staff and can effectively utilize existing talent. Is, in your opinion, which potential head coaching candidate, independent of previous experience, could put together the best overall staff? That's a great question. And I would have to sit in on the interview process to, to give you an answer with any level of consistency, but I think you do make a great point. Iraq in regards to the offensive line and the the people that have apprehension about some of the talent that is still on this roster. You just named four guys that went on to be serviceable starters in other places. And I don't think that's a coincidence. And that offensive line coach, this won't be the first time you've heard me say it. If you've listened to the, to um, the podcast for any amount of time, that offensive line coach is arguably as important or maybe even more important than any of the five individual talents that is inserted in your starting offensive line. Freshy Prince, 10 out of 10, even got my buddy from the Marines hooked. Shout out to your buddy. Thank him for his service for me in case he doesn't hear this for himself. Uh, And Freshy Prince's question is, I know this is a hypothetical and you'll probably cover this later, especially after coaching hirings and picking a quarterback. Who would you want the most and why between Watson, Rogers, Wilson, if we move on from Tua? So that's that's probably a week's worth of content. I'll say that. Uh, we're going to present throughout the course of the offseason some of the pathways, kind of like what we did last year with the first-round prospects. 
how quarterback X, Y, or Z um, would fit and what the opportunity cost would be if the Dolphins did decide to pursue a trade for Russell Wilson, as an example, or Aaron Rodgers. Um, what's the opportunity cost of staying with Tua? And we're going to put all of those back to back to back to back on the show so that way you can really get a good idea and a comparative side-by-side of what the opportunity cost is with each path of this choose-your-own-adventure. Uh, and that was something that was going to be done pretty early in the offseason, but based on what we heard last weekend, I think we'll wait until we get a coach and, and try to get a little bit better feel of what the appetite is for the Dolphins once they make a head coaching decision. Uh, man who can't even play left a five-star review of the show. Uh, hi, Kyle. Big fan of the show. Listen every day from down under. I've been a Dolphins fan for 20 plus years. By the way, I've always wanted to go to Australia. So maybe we could change spots for a week or so. Because the Dolphins were so RPO heavy, did that impact the ability of the offensive line play? Could some of these players, Jackson, Davis, and Eichenberg, turn it around next season in a more simplistic slash traditional offense, potentially? I don't know about simplistic. And the... Conceptually, RPOs are easy for offensive linemen because you're blocking run no matter what. It's just you have to test your discipline to not drift downfield and get beyond that imaginary line that's drawn for you to be an eligible player downfield. Um, so I don't know that it was necessarily simp- the, the complexity of it that was a challenge. Um, I would say a more traditional offense if they chose to go that route. And I wouldn't advocate getting completely away from um, the RPO concepts. Uh, a more traditional offense could potentially help a guy like Liam Eikenberg, who played in a traditional style offense at Notre Dame. But for me, I think the biggest thing, and you saw this with whoever was playing the tackle positions, they were getting teed off in pass pro bailing out of their sets, desperate to keep the edge because they're hitting with speed again and again and again and again and again. And as soon as you start bailing out, you open your hips to turn and chase and carry and try and rush that guy past the the at the peak of the arc. They hit you with speed to power because your feet aren't set and they run through you or they duck underneath because you've overset because you jumped out of your stance real hard and you're giving up inside counter. So you need to get more consistent success on first downs, game over, game over, game over, game, in the running game. I'm going to beat it to death this offseason. Getting better in the running game is going to help everybody get better at everything because the Dolphins, aside of the performance that they had against the Patriots in Week 18, uh, were pretty abysmally bad running the football. I know Duke had two good games Um, It really injected some life into that group with running with some attitude. But those offensive linemen need to be better about having chemistry and seeing the front the same way and understanding which ones you stay committed to your combo blocks and how we're going to pass it off when the linebacker triggers and comes downhill instead of both of us stay on the A-gap or the A-level defender and the linebacker shoots the gap and he's creating a mess and the back's got to go off the tracks. and It's a big mess. And that's when you watch the Dolphins' running game There's one or two guys on every play that seemed like they were just missing their assignments and it was blowing up every play. So you got to watch and look and see who those guys are and you got to identify who they are. They need to attack it better at those specific spots. And I think we can all see the tackles were weak spots. 
although I did think Liam was pretty solid in the run game. And then the tight end position, you know, I they draft Hunter Long in the third round. They don't play Hunter Long when Hunter Long does play, when he's not committing ticky-tack penalties. I know he got called for two holding penalties, and everybody was down on him because his name showed up, and he got called for holding penalty, and one of them I didn't even think was a hold. Uh, but then he doesn't, you know, he's better blocker in line than anybody else the Dolphins have on the roster, in my opinion, if they didn't play. And I don't know if that's because he was a rookie and he didn't know his assignments or what. I don't know. I don't know. But here's what I do know. Our friends at OnlineGamingLeague.com are looking to give you the edge that you need uh, for the NFL playoffs. If you didn't know already, OnlineGamingLeague.com is a website dedicated to giving betters the edge throughout the playoffs. They are providing you with the best NFL tips, news, and more to help make your bets as informed as ever. So make sure you visit onlinegambling.com slash NFL for all the latest gambling news, tips, and info to beat the odds and give you the best chance throughout the playoffs. Remember, onlinegambling.com slash NFL to make the most of this year's playoffs with your bets. I got plenty more reviews, but I do want to pick off a couple of these questions that have been dropped in here. Uh, Axel, <laughs> this is not a question, but Flores really got fired for suggesting we switch back to the old logo. Um, if they're firing for that, then they may be hiring a new locked on Dolphins coach too, because it's not a coincidence. You look behind me and the only logoing that you see in my personal office is the old school stuff. Now I do have the modern day stuff here on the other wall. I got a retro wall and I got a modern wall. Um, but I would take the, the retro stuff 10 times out of 10, 11 times out of 10. Uh, Mike, the magic man. Why is Shula never discussed as one of the best coaches? He took a team with a third string quarterback who went undefeated. Pats didn't do that with Brady. I think um, the saying is distance makes the heart grow fonder, right? Uh, but distance in sports talk and by distance i mean time doesn't make the heart necessarily grow fonder all the time but it does uh test your memory and i don't think people really appreciate what don shula accomplished without being able to look at or, or having lived through some of those accomplishments or, or being old enough to remember some of those accomplishments and uh, sports talk today, it's very focused in on all of the personas that move the needle. So I, I wouldn't take it personally uh, that Don Shula doesn't get the love that is required because when you look at the all-time wins column, the guy at the top of the list, his name's Don Shula, and that means in my, for my money, he's the greatest head coach in the history of football. So, and even if that does change, Don Shula is still going to be associated for me as the greatest head coach in the history of football. So uh, Bruns with a review question for us. Uh, real intrigued by Mike McDaniel, as is a lot of folks. Uh, if he has the ability to hire a good staff, he might be my top pick. If they do go with McDaniel, what do you think of this offensive line for next season? Austin Jackson at left tackle. Lakin Tomlinson projected free agent at $9 million per year. At left guard, Tyler Linderbaum, center, uh, who would presumably be your first round draft choice. Robert Hunt, 
right guard. I'm in there. Uh, and Lee Eikenberg at right tackle. I would really hate to see Austin Jackson back in the starting lineup. I've seen enough, personally. Um, I think Lakin Tomlinson, he's had success in San Francisco running this same scheme. Uh, so I think that's something that makes sense. Linderbaum for this wide zone system would make a ton of sense. Rob Hunt, yes. Lee Eikenberg, I think he's better in the run game than he is in pass prone. If you have better balance, I don't think he'll be so tested with speed. Um, I would really try to find somebody else to play left tackle. Uh, I really have a hard time digesting him being back. Now, if he's your sixth offensive lineman and he's got guard experience and he's got tackle experience, great. You didn't draft that guy at 18 to be your your util guy, your flex guy, uh, but I'd be willing to live with that. But to have him as one of the best starting five, uh, I'd struggle to, to get on board and get excited about seeing that for another season. Uh, 81 special. Don't think I've ever heard you mention a college team you like. Who is it? Love the show. Uh, thanks for listening. I don't know if you could see. Uh, that's Jalen Waddle apparel in the background. Uh, so in my office. So that's not necessarily a, a declaration for the University of Alabama. Uh, I went to Penn State. My undergraduate is in exercise science from Penn State University. Uh, what I like about college football especially doing the scouting stuff that I do for the draftnetwork.com is every single year you kind of go in with a blank slate. And I wasn't one of those diehard, crazy Penn state. You know, I just, I lived in Pennsylvania and I went to Penn state and the games were fun. They were a lot of fun. Um, but the thing I like about college is I kind of find a new team that I just love the players that they have. And I love the way that they're playing every year. And because I only have so much bandwidth for diehard passion, and as you can see if you're watching the stream, uh, that that is existing with the Dolphins and exclusively the Dolphins, uh, I kind of like to let a team come to me that I'm going to choose is going to capture my heart. And it's not always the team that's competing for a national championship. Like, I mean, Kevin White played on the West Virginia Mountaineers. It was West Virginia. Um, so is that a cheap out to say I don't have one? The uh, Jeff Stevens with a review. Longtime fan, old enough to remember Danny winning an actual playoff game. Bless you, sir. I'm somewhat struggling with the idea of a Peterson or Caldwell versus the young offensive mind that can create a productive offensive scheme regardless of the offensive coaching staff. I've been watching the 49ers games, and I really love seeing that running game thrive. The offense is fun to watch, and it makes me think Mike McDaniels might be a great head coach if you can bring in an experienced defensive coordinator like Mike Zimmer or Vic Fangio, similar to McVay having Wade Phillips when he was first hired. What are your thoughts? Yeah, if you're going to go Mike McDaniel, then go get like the most bona fide defensive coordinator that you can find and just give him that side of the football and say, hey, here's what we did last year. A lot of 5-0 pressure packages, played a lot of man, uh, not afraid to play zero. You've got all the depth in the world. You got some horses. You might need to blitz, blitz to manufacture some pressure, uh, but go ahead and go get them. And whether that's an odd front or an even front, that may re require some tweaking uh, from uh, just a couple of pieces uh, in the front seven, some of the linebackers. But I, I think that transition could be made relatively easily. Um, what I like about the San Francisco scheme, the Shanahan scheme, is they are a team, and, and I don't know if everybody's ready for this or not, but they're a team that has traditionally, going all the way back to Mike Shanahan and the Broncos, They'll take backs, and they view them as a dime a dozen, 
and they'll put him in and they'll produce like crazy. And everybody's sitting here saying, Dolphins need a running back. Dolphins need a running back. Dolphins need to, Chris Green needs to start taking the running back position more seriously. They need to draft a running back high. Uh, but you look at San Francisco now, the lead rusher this year was a sixth round pick, rookie in you know, Elijah Mitchell. Uh, the lead rusher before that was Raheem Mostert. I believe he was an undrafted free agent. Jeff Wilson's been productive in that system and he wasn't drafted. So like you've got this really long list of within this system. So that's just one thing. Like if we're going to go that route, I hope everybody's mentally prepared for the potential of Mike McDaniel coming in and say, yeah, Hey Chris, uh, just look for guys with these traits. We don't need to prioritize it real high because the, the scheme and the system and, and the way we draw up our plays uh, is going to allow us to have success because they, they have a proven like 20 years proven track record going back to Mike Shanahan at Denver Broncos with uh, Orlandis Gary and whoever else. Uh, Clinton Portis was obviously a stud back in that system, but there, there's like a lot of guys who came into that system and ran the ball like crazy. Uh, go Fins, go 26. Huge fan of the podcast and Bill Bars. Good taste. Haven't heard. Oh, I know you're not going down this path, sir or madam. Haven't heard his name tied to the Dolphins yet, but what would you think of them looking at Bill O'Brien to be the head coach of this football team? I know he had his issues in Houston, but that was more on the GM. Uh, everything I've heard is he's a great coach as long as you don't give him the GM power he had in Houston. Offensive-minded coach with prior experience. Made the playoffs multiple times. Would love to hear your thoughts. So Bill's currently going through that rehabilitation process that coaches go through where they flame out in the NFL. Then they go to Alabama. They work for Nick Saban for a few years. And then magically, he's a great coach again. And he's going to get a head coaching job. Um, I think a lot of the non-football issues, as you made the point to mention, that prompted the Dolphins to make a change with Brian Flores also exists with Bill O'Brien. And I have a hard time seeing the Dolphins overlooking that uh, to get his offensive scheme into the mix here. And ironically, his offensive scheme probably runs pretty parallel to what we saw this year because George Gotze, co-offensive coordinator in 2021 for the Miami Dolphins, Used to be Bill O'Brien's offensive coordinator before he was fired uh, after calling plays for 19 games across two seasons. Zemlicka. Man, can you sometime this offseason take the time to explain how Dan Marino was never able to win a Super Bowl? Myself and others are so young and can't fathom how his elite passing couldn't obtain sports greatest trophy. Thanks for all your hard work. Um, I'm sure I could. I'm sure I, for old school Dolphins fans, I could probably mention a few names and it would register. Uh, Tom Olivadotti is probably one that if I said some Dolphins fan, older Dolphins fans would probably cringe. <laughs> Uh, I think we were talking on the timeline earlier about Bernie Parmalee. I think it was Bernie Parmalee. Um, maybe caused some other Dolphins fans to cringe. So if you want that kind of, if you're that kind of masochist, I mean, we could probably put it on the schedule. <laughs> uh, Slurdington, Kyle, what is your dream scenario for a head coach, offense coordinator, defense coordinator this cycle? 
for the Dolphins. Uh, this was put in a couple days ago. I assume it was submitted before I did my short list of top 10. So definitely check that out, uh, Slurdington, if you missed it. Got uh, some live comments to get to, and we have just one or two more iTunes reviews, but not before I tell you about our friends over at TurboTax. People think unusual circumstances mean complicated taxes, but for TurboTax live experts, that's what makes things interesting. Maybe you inherited a condo and are renting it out, or maybe you've got paid in crypto and aren't sure how it's taxed. For TurboTax live experts, an interesting life can mean an even greater refund. Luckily, TurboTax Live can match you with the right expert who has experience in your unique situation and can answer all of your tax questions right from your phone or computer. They can even take care of the entire filing process for you. Whether you launched your own startup or working multiple jobs, juggling multiple incomes, an experienced TurboTax Live expert can help you during the entire filing process or do your taxes for you from start to finish to get you the tax deductions you deserve. Visit TurboTax.com to learn more. You do your thing. They've got your taxes into a TurboTax Live. Okay. I have two reviews left. Um, Disgruntled Dolphins fan is the title of the next one. From Dave in uh, Avito. I have memories of going to a Dolphins Super Bowl party with my dad as a little kid. Subscribed to the Dolphins Digest and read every issue. I've watched or listened to basically every game on the radio. I would rewatch old wins out of all the nut kicks I've endured. Firing Coach Flores did the most to shake my fandom. I think we are screwed as long as Stephen Ross is the owner. Can you tell me I'm wrong? Are there any reasonable grounds for optimism? I love the show and keep up the good work. There's a lot of fans that share this general sentiment, Dave, and I understand why you feel the way you do. I think what is tough is this regime and this change that they made felt like it was different. It felt like there was a self-awareness, and I know I touched on this recently on the podcast as well, but it felt like this was the time where they had kind of the awakening and the self-awareness of, hey, we're doing things wrong. We should probably adjust. Let's try doing it this way. And then you start to see some results on the field. But at the end of the day, that same toxicity from underneath the surface bubbles up and you fire your head coach. That's very frustrating. Uh, it's very frustrating for me as well, who spent a lot of time invested in, this is that they, they have a process. They have these uh, pillars of identity of what they're looking for and they're going to buy in and they might miss along the way and there's going to be missteps. Uh, but because they have conviction in what they're doing, they're going to get it right. Well, apparently not everybody had the same level of conviction. Um, so I would say this. Scouting for the draft network and paying attention to the trends across the entire league. The Cincinnati Bengals don't have good ownership. They don't. The Arizona Cardinals don't have good ownership. Both of those teams won 10 plus games this year. Both of those teams managed to position themselves and got high level quarterbacks in Kyler Murray and Joe Burrow. So ownership can be a hindrance. And I will say this about Mr. Ross or Steve Ross. Um, there have been organizational miscalculations and, and there have been 
a lot of issues with in-house fighting and leveraging and trying to gain the favor of Stephen Ross. Um, but I will give credit to Stephen Ross for investing a lot into the Dolphins, between the facility, the stadium, spending money on a roster. I would rather have that than be in a position that some of these other teams are in, which they don't spend money, they don't have resources, they don't spend in free agency, they don't have good facilities. That allure of Miami and having good facilities and having a, an owner that's invested and willing to spend money, his own money to get you to win, you can stumble into getting it right, even if your process isn't always good. And I think that's probably your course of optimism. And I look at the, the roster that has been put in place and it's not perfect. And there have been missteps along the way, but I see a lot of areas in which you can point to between the salary cap and the, the depth on the defensive side of the ball and all the young players that you have who are going to continue to grow and get better. And you can use as identity pieces on both sides of the football, even though there's more on the defense than there are on the offense and the future assets that have been collected there's enough here from a foundational standpoint that you can still get it right from here. Uh, but I think this head coaching search is, is going to be really telling. Uh, Finkel is Einhorn. Last iTunes review uh, for this week's show. Few players on the TDM mock draft simulator that seem incredibly low. I was wondering if this is because they haven't gotten write-ups in yet. Two examples are Cameron Harris and Bubba Bolden, both of the Miami Hurricanes. Uh, a third is Christian Watson, who I'm really high on. That is a wide receiver from North Dakota State. After all the offseason activities, I think he ends up as a top 50 player and someone I hope the Dolphins would consider. Okay, so Cameron Harris, Brentley Weissman, one of our regional scouts did, really liked him, gave him an early day three grade. Uh, I think his positioning predictively, uh, he's going to have to test well. Bubba Bolden uh, really flashed when he first showed up at Miami after transferring over from, from USC. Uh, tackling has been an issue. And if you're a safety who struggles with tackling, uh, that's going to hurt your resume a little bit. Uh, Christian Watson, uh, who's going to be at the senior bowl and I'm going to get a chance to see him because I'll be down in mobile. I'm going to be at the shrine and the senior bowl the next couple weeks. Um, is a height, weight, speed type guy, six, four, six, five, big body player, uh, can gear down on his routes actually pretty well. He plays in North Dakota state. And I don't know about top 50, but I would definitely agree with you that like, as we work our way through this process, he's going to continue to grow. His, his profile is going to continue to grow and he's going to be in demand. So with that in mind, we're going to go ahead and zip through as many of the live comments that have been left. And there's a bunch of you guys in the YouTube uh, stream right now. And thank you guys for tuning in. Um, Indeed, does TDN scout kickers and punters? So we we put them in our database uh, once we get the combine list, but we we don't do the breakdowns on uh, trajectory of kicks and and depth, and it's it's really hard to know what they're trying to accomplish. Um, we could look at spin rate or ability to drop the nose of the football and get that back spin when you're trying to you know, cough in corner or put it down inside the twenty and pin them deep. But we we could talk about that, but uh, with the amount of depth that we try and cover elsewhere, we we don't do the write ups on kickers and punters. Uh, Paul, who is one head coaching hire you'd least like to see? Well, knowing what I know, um, I'd be pretty bummed with Vance Joseph. 
personally. Um, he did not have a successful tenure in Denver. Uh, his his defense in Arizona, what's been interesting is they've invested two first-round picks the last two years in hybrid-type defenders in Isaiah Simmons and, and Zayvon Collins, and neither one of them has consistently been able to get weaponized and, and play with consistency, and that's a little bit of a flag for me. So uh, that's one that I, I would hope that they choose to go a different direction on. Barney. Talk about wide receiver two, who we are going after in the draft. Maybe the guy from Arkansas, Burks, I think is his name. So I'll touch on Traylon Burks real quick, and I'm glad you asked. Because uh, we talked about this on our scouting staff meeting uh, for the Draft Network today. San Francisco 49ers have kind of taken uh, a lot of conversation and talking points because the win that they had over Dallas and Debo Samuel playing a, a starring role in that and having more rushing touchdowns for a wide receiver than – anybody like ever. Um, and Traylon Burks has kind of been pointed to like, oh, that's the next Debo Samuel. The next Debo. How exciting. I do think Traylon Burks, his, his physical athleticism, he's a very versatile player. He's been used in a lot of different kinds of ways. You know, they've used him at Wildcat quarterback at Arkansas. They put him in the slot. They put him on the outside. Uh, he wins after the catch. But he doesn't have that same bounce and gear that Debo has. And I think that's an important distinguishment to make, especially if the Dolphins do end up going hiring Mike McDaniel. And then it's go, oh, we're going to draft the next Debo, Debo 2.0, which is always a slippery slope when you start drafting guys to be the 2.0 version of somebody else. Uh, but you watch Debo down at the Senior Bowl, and people ask, you know, who aren't familiar with scouting, like, what's the value of the Senior Bowl? Well, Debo at South Carolina struggled with some injuries, uh, struggled. You could tell he was a, a multi-tool guy, but he didn't really fully showcase his talents with consistency. And then he goes down to the senior bowl and he's running routes. And I'll never forget. He ran one rip whip route down in the red zone. And like everybody, it was like an and one mixtape, everybody credential media up in the stands. Oh, like went crazy. And I don't think Traylon has that kind of bounce to really sell an inside uh, slant and then pivot and come back across and open up and just put guys in the blender. Uh, so I think Debo's a really special athlete in that regard. I don't necessarily know that Traylon Burks is that kind of guy. Uh, let's see, Martina. Late one here in the UK, but here I am. <laughs> Apologies. Should Miami look for both offensive tackles and free agency because we've struggled to find one in the draft? I do think Lee Meikenberg's probably going to get a chance to start somewhere. I know the last time I talked to Joe Rose at the end of the season, he kind of echoed those same sentiments. Um, whether that is at tackle or at left guard, I'm not sure. Uh, but I think you need at least two new starters. One of them has to be a tackle. You have to replace Jesse Davis. You have to replace Jesse Davis. Him being him being on the roster feels like a, a borderline fail based on how poorly things have gone with him in the lineup. Let's get a couple more here. Indeed. Am I crazy or is TDN underrating Ed Ingram? Very prospect-heavy conversation today. I like it. Uh, so Ed Ingram is offensive guard from LSU. Physically. Very talented. He's a mauler, moves guys. Uh, the question with Ed Ingram is there's some off-the-field 
history uh, that's going to need to be vetted by teams. He had an indefinite suspension. I believe it was something pertaining to sexual assault uh, that he was cleared of and has been allowed to play uh, for several seasons. Uh, but that kind of off-the-field mark is something uh, that we kind of earmark where we want to know where teams stand with something like that before we put them too high up. So that's part of the reason why Ed's uh, ranking or projection right now might not necessarily fall in line with his his raw talent and capabilities. Uh, Kenny, do you think the shift in the team statement towards two as the starter means they may have a candidate accept the offer but need to announce it? Uh, I don't think so. I know there's some, there's always back channel conversations that have been had, but like when they came out and said that it was before they had even held or had reported any interviews. Like we heard they had interviews on Sunday after the bills win against New England with both bills coordinators and everybody else that they've interviewed has been this week. So I don't think the timing lines up for kind of like a handshake, wink, wink, nod, nod agreement. Um, but I do think that that was put out there for a reason. What that reason was, we're going to have to wait it out, find out. Uh, da, 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 da. Paul, what would the Finns need to do with their roster to build a team to overtake the Bills? I don't know what they would need to do in its entirety, uh, but I would say this. You have to run the football. The teams that have given the Bills the most trouble have given them the most trouble. New England in the first matchup that they played, the Indianapolis Colts, the Tennessee Titans, those teams have ran the ball on the Bills. And what do you accomplish by running the football with consistency? Time of possession. You shorten the game. You reduce the amount of possessions, which means you reduce the number of times that the opposing quarterback, a la Josh Allen, touches the football. So just this year alone, I think you look at what Indianapolis did to him, and Indianapolis tore him limb from limb. What New England did the first time they played him, New England or Buffalo still very easily could have won that game. And what Tennessee did, you got to be able to run the ball. So that that's, again, we're going to continue to pound the table, fix the running game here on this podcast. It's going to be part of the brand. So I hope you guys are planning accordingly. Um, Pat Perkins, my guy. If you were forced to give out a three-year, $15 million extension to Durham Smythe, Elena Roberts, or Jesse Davis, who would you choose? I hate this. Um, <laughs> I'm not giving it to Elandon because that's starting linebacker money. That's five times, like five, four or five times what he made this year. I'm not giving it to Durham. For an offensive lineman, a utility offensive lineman, that's at least reasonable money. And I know I just got done saying it feels like borderline malpractice to have Jesse back on the roster again next year. But the economics of that for a guy who can play four spots, so long as I promise you he's never going to see the field. Also, one of the, the uh, pillars of identity that I personally subscribe to is don't pay for depth. So I'd have a hard time with that anyway. You. Why you, not Y-O-U. In your earlier video, you talked about being in that weird spot in the draft where you may want to move back or move up. Which do you predict will be more likely based on the talent this year? Well, that's an interesting way to phrase that question. If they want offensive line help, they would probably be best served to move up. If they want wide receiver help, they'd probably be best served to move back. So 
and I can't get I can't get on board with spending that pick on defense. I also can't get on board with spending it in the draft at all. I want to trade. And what's interesting is, you know, the Calvin Ridley stuff is um, some more talk has bubbled up on what that might cost. And, and it's been speculated that a conditional two might be enough to get Calvin Ridley in a trade with the Falcons. Um, and I don't know if what happened with, with his personal reasons for stepping away has been made public or not. So I won't, I won't discuss it here, but if the speculation or, or what I had heard speculated was uh, the reason uh, for him stepping away and wanting to get out of Atlanta, I would understand it entirely. Uh, sounds like if that is indeed what happened, it was a very difficult situation uh, for him and his family. So um, the interesting thing about a conditional pick though, if you did require a conditional pick to get Calvin Ridley, especially if it's not a one, um, is you wouldn't pay it until 2023, right? Because a conditional pick, you have to have the conditions met or not met. So at, that, that might be a lower pick this year and a conditional higher pick in 2023 that could escalate depending on availability and performance and production and so on and so forth. Uh, let's see, Glenn. My guy, Glenn. I'm throwing big bags of cash at Cam Robinson and Trent Brown if they hit free agency and locking down that offensive line for the next four or five years. Are you in? I'm in on Trent Brown because I've seen Trent Brown play at a high level. I have no idea why Jacksonville slapped Cam Robinson with the franchise tag this past year. No clue. And I, I would advocate for pursuing cam robinson if you wanted to play a gap power style system but i wouldn't throw big bags at him but i do think he would be a better option than austin jackson so i could get on board but i'm not throwing a lot of money at that uh dan would you prefer isaiah spiller or kenneth walker the third at pick 50 so if you're first of all i'm assuming we're assuming mike mcdaniel's not the higher in this situation but if you're drafting a running back at 50 and it's between those two guys, Kenneth Walker, the third is the better runner of the football, but he's a less well-rounded player and he is not particularly good on passing downs. And I'm a huge sucker for guys who can pound the rock, but can also knock you on your ass and pass pro. And I think Spiller does that better than Kenneth Walker does. I would probably pick Spiller for the more well-rounded resume and ability to play all three downs and be effective. Uh, but Kenneth Walker, I think, is a, a little bit more of a dynamic player. And I think he's a little bit more impressive of a rusher. John, thanks for checking out the, the show, man. It's catching up with your podcast and YouTube stuff. Very informative. Um, anyway, Doug Peterson sneaks into the interview process. I just can't see him not fitting the situation so well. Yeah. I mean, I think you got it right on the nose, but, um, it doesn't sound like there's any traction on the, this interview happening. And I know Doug was involved with, uh, Mike Tannenbaum's venture of the 33rd team. Uh, perhaps that some way that relationship kind of either pushed Doug in a direction or pushed Mike to talk to Steve and let them know that there wasn't an interest there. What I don't know. That's total speculation on my part. But, yeah, I don't know how you vet head coaching candidates and look at Doug and, and his background off the Andy Reid tree and the success that he had and uh, not at least get him in for an interview. 
I'm with you a hundred percent. Let's see. Let's get a couple more here. I'm going to drop down to the bottom. Matt. Okay. Okay. Would you give the first round pick for Sean Payton? One of these years, Sean Payton is going to bounce out of there because that, that team is really, they're just kicking the can down the road year over year with the cap, just surviving at this point. I don't know that I would trade a one for Sean Payton. However, um, I think there are enough quality candidates, whether or not Miami actually interviews some of them or not is yet to be seen. Uh, but Sean Payton, no question would be a very highly accomplished and desirable coach. Uh, I guess the tough part with him is his, his contract, I believe is up after two more seasons this year and next year. Uh, do you give a first for a jump start on that? Or if you know the situation is bad, do you just kind of keep your eye on it? And if it becomes available, then it kind of becomes what the situation was with the Dolphins quarterback position where you got to be honest with yourself. It's like, Hey, we, we like who we have as a coach, but if, if one of the best coaches in football is available, we explore that upgrade, just like we would explore upgrading the quarterback position. If Aaron Rodgers becomes available. I don't know. I don't really have a good answer. And maybe, you know, the head coach hire that you make blows you away and exceeds expectations and you wouldn't feel tempted to do that. Uh, John, can we put Jordan Palmer on the Dolphins staff? I'll tell you what was really cool. Uh, is obviously we centered some of yesterday's programming around that interview with Jordan Palmer on Draft Dudes. And seeing the number of Dolphins fans who flocked to that podcast and listened to it and absorbed what Jordan had to say. Uh, and took away some of the same things that I did from it was really cool. Uh, very, very cool. Let me let me get two more. I'm going to do two more. Dream offensive line coach hire. Mike Munchak. Yes, the answer is Mike Munchak. If you can bring Mike Munchak, who's been in Denver as their offensive line coach, if you can find any situation to bring him into the fray, I am all in. Uh, Paul, does Noah Igbenogany have any trade value? I'm sure you could, maybe not with his economics at this point in time. Oh, he did get on the field on special teams down the course of the season. I think what Noah's going to have to do is either have the light bulb come on big time this year at, at outside corner, or he's going to have to play transition and potentially pay, play safety uh, because he is not afraid to hit. That's I will say that for him. He is not afraid to stick you, and he's a really big physical body, good length, rocked up. If you want to put that at safety and you want to ask him to come downhill, get him involved in run fits, that's a totally different language. And we we learned that with Eric Rowe, right? When Eric Rowe first came to Miami and uh, transitioned to safety t- midway through 2019 and then that 2020 offseason for him, and I asked him about that in training camp when they were in the press conferences. He's like, yeah, my pretty much my entire offseason was dedicated towards figuring out run fits because it's a new language for me to be a strong safety and be down in the box and go through a run pass key and understand if it's passed, 
how I got to get attached to my man if we're playing man or how to get into my zone and hit my landmarks or if it's run where I've got to step and, and how I've got to physically challenge a blocker and, and spill a block or, or dis, uh, discard a, a, a blocker on the perimeter and, and make sure I keep contained in my gap. Uh, that's a whole different language for Noah. And he struggled with the, the coverage dynamic of stuff. But the economics of his deal as a first-round pick, with the resume that he's put on, I think you're going to have a really hard time generating anybody interested in giving anything away for it. So unfortunately, I think Noah probably has more value to Miami with potentially trying to get the light bulb to come on as compared to anybody else. Uh, but we went about the challenge at the beginning of the show, and naturally you guys way over-delivered, was get me started and see how long you can keep me going. We're at about 50 minutes. 50 minutes. And, and I didn't get to a bunch of questions. So really thank you guys for checking out the show. Really appreciate you guys carving out uh, some time on a Wednesday night, or if you're listening to the podcast on Thursday, making Locked On Dolphins your first Miami Dolphins listen of the day. That's going to do it for us here on the show. We're going to go ahead and sign things off. Kyle Krabs, keep it locked in right here on Locked On Dolphins. Fins up. Make it a good one. I'll talk with you guys again tomorrow.